On today's episode, I discuss what to do if your dog develops really bad anxiety and severe phobias. I discuss how you can stop your puppy biting you. I answer the question, when should my young puppy be vaccinated? What vaccines does he need and what else will he require? Also, can rabies vaccines cause rabies? I discuss what health problems a cat will face and what precautions a new cat owner should take. And finally, does medical marijuana help dogs suffering with seizures and can it be used to treat anxiety and pain? But first, let's cue the music. You're listening to the Dr. Alex Answers Podcast, the show that answers all of your dog and cat health questions so they can live healthier, happier lives. And here's your host, veterinarian, Dr. Alex Avery. Hi, and welcome to episode number two of the Dr. Alex Answers podcast. I'm Dr. Alex, the veterinarian behind ourpetshealth.com, where my aim is to help you and your pet live a healthier, happier life. I'm so grateful that you're here sharing your valuable time with me. And if you're a new listener and you've not heard my first episode and you enjoy the show, then make sure you subscribe to the podcast. I've got loads more valuable episodes lined up that you definitely won't want to miss. You can also get your question answered just by heading over to ourpetshealth.com slash Dr. Alex Answers. So my first question is, my dog has developed really bad anxiety and severe phobias of noise, people and strange objects. It's getting worse. What should I do? So this owner rehomed a young, large breed dog. And one morning there was a vehicle accident that they witnessed. There was lots of noise. There was sirens. And the dog became really traumatized by that event. And ever since then, then the dog has just panicked when they've come near something that just really isn't a threat at all. It's a strange object or when there's been a strange noise. And in one incident, this dog actually kind of leapt over a bin. They dragged their owner into it. It really injured them. And then they ran off home down the street, pulling their retractable lead behind them, which was banging on the ground and causing even more problems. And ever since then, the dog has just seemed to be hypervigilant, is always on edge, is massively anxious. And the owner's just terrified that it's going to happen again, that it's going to cause them a personal injury and also death of their dog potentially. You know, if a dog panics and runs off like that, then running across the road is the last thing they're going to be worried about and that can definitely cause some really nasty problems. The owner has consulted some trainers and they've advised a prong collar, anti-anxiety medication and of course a modified training program. So the first thing that I would say is that I'm not a dog trainer but I'd absolutely advise against a prong collar, a choker chain, a shock collar or any other form of training that involves negative feedback or punishment and that's in any dog but let alone a dog with severe anxiety and high stress levels. Just imagine what being punished is going to do to to that dog. They're going to actually develop a phobia and a fear of you I would have thought or they're just going to be even more anxious. So that would be my first comment. Now with problems as severe as you're describing then to give you the best chance of a successful outcome you really need to be thinking about working with a certified um, veterinary animal behaviourist if that's at all possible in the area that you are. Now they're not they're kind of quite few and far between but they will travel in a lot of cases or it might be a case of you needing to travel to see them but if it's at all possible seeing a certified veterinary animal behaviorist is definitely the best option and for for them coming up with a treatment plan that's suitable for your dog and your home situation that being said some first aid steps that i 
could think you should consider would be not to walk him by yourself if you're not strong enough to control him especially when he's panicking. So he's a really big dog, um, really strong. So you need to be really strong as well. And, you know, to be honest, some of these really large breeds, if they want to go, they will go no matter who you are and no matter how strong you are. So really think twice about walking them by yourself. If necessary, walk them with a friend. Both of you have hold of a lead um, and that way you're more likely to be able to control him. Also use a harness and a short lead. So retractable leads are seldom a good idea. The mechanism might fail um, or you'll suddenly try and stop your dog when they're running out um, and they'll just yank it out of your hand. So I definitely don't recommend retractable leads anyway. Harnesses also allow better control rather than just a collar around the neck and then use a short sturdy lead with a really sturdy clip to make sure that nothing breaks. You also want to avoid anything that acts as a trigger. So you really need to set your dog up for success rather than failure. And when we've got phobia, when we've got an anxiety, for every negative experience, it makes that behavior more ingrained. So we want to try and avoid that if at all possible. And like I say, you know, set your dog up for success. And then lastly, definitely talk to your vet as soon as possible. If, especially if there's going to be any delay in seeing a veterinary behaviorist to see what suitable drugs are available for your dog in the short term. Now, there are supplements um, and some of those might be Carmex, um, Zilkine and also an Adaptil collar. So that's a pheromone collar. And while they may help uh, and they definitely do help in more mild anxieties and um, you know, more miles, say sound, not necessarily phobias, but just um, sensitivities. When you've got a really bad phobia and when you've got really severe behavioral problems, they may help a tiny bit, but they're not going to be the be all and end all. So at least in the short term, you should definitely talk to your vets and see what other stronger pharmaceutical drugs are available and suitable for your pet. And then finally, with behavioral problems, and this goes for any behavioral problem, don't ignore it. Behavioural problems only get worse. So great job for asking for help. Follow that through. Unfortunately, behavioural problems are seldom a quick fix, but if you get onto it sooner, then it's going to be easier to, to control and to potentially reverse. So definitely get in touch with that behaviourist. You're listening to the Dr. Alex Answers Show. Okay, so question number two is how can I stop my puppy biting me? So this owner's got a three-month-old puppy that's biting their hands, um, that's biting their ankles. They've got a couple of kids and the puppy's actually made them cry a few times because of it. They've tried a few things. They've tried just saying, ouch. They've tried holding the mouth closed um, and telling him no biting, but then that causes the dog just to bark at them. And they also added that their husband has actually disciplined their dog by spanking him on the bottom when he's being naughty. And that because of that, they've noticed that the dog is becoming a little bit nervous when he sees that they're raising their hands and even when they try to just pet him. So he's also not fully vaccinated. And so they haven't brought him out to socialize either. So how can they stop his biting behavior? Well, there are a couple of ways that we can stop biting in puppies. The most important thing is to be consistent and that everyone in the family does the same thing. So parents, children, anyone visiting, they all do the same thing. So consistency is key so that the puppy gets the same idea from whoever, it, whoever's hand that they're biting. They're doing the same thing and that's just going to reinforce what needs to happen. Uh, if you're sending mixed messages to any dog but to a puppy, it can get very confusing, confusing for them. So the owner's doing definitely the right thing by saying ouch or no loudly. Um, but at this time, all play needs to stop and you should ignore the puppy for a few minutes. So completely ignore, turn your back, put the toy down, play stops. Now, 
if the puppy continues to bite or if they bark and they're making a fuss, they're jumping up, um, and as soon as you interact with them again, they're biting, then instead of just shouting ow or no, then continue, then, then actually just remove them from that area. So they need to learn that if they bite, then play stops. So just pick them up, take them to another room, shut them in that room by themselves without any toys. They're going to be bored. It only needs to be for a few minutes and then bring them out. And then you can make a fuss of them. You can give them a treat or what have you. And they're not going to associate that with their biting behavior. But what they need to do is they need to learn that if they bite, life gets very boring. The important thing is that you need to do that straight away. So you can't let them bite you and then a minute later, a couple of minutes later, put them in another room because they're not going to make that association. So it's very important that when something happens, it has a response straight away. So we use that in training. If uh, if you're training your dog to sit, then you give them, as soon as they sit down, you give them a treat straight away. Again, if they sit down and a minute later, you give them a treat, they're not going to know why they got it. They're not going to associate that sitting with the treat. So in a similar way, life needs to get boring straight away as soon as that bite happens. Now, also, you need to really stop playing any tugging games or games where you're putting your hand in, in their mouth if that's what you're doing. As this, again, it only encourages biting in those situations and it's just sending mixed messages to a puppy. And then finally, really negative punishment like spanking, it should always be avoided. It's much more likely to result in a fearful dog who doesn't understand the link between punishment and the unwanted behavior. So punishment in any way, it's actually very hard to get right and it's very easy to get wrong. And the last thing you want is a dog who is scared of you because they're worried that they're going to get punished or they're going to get hit. So, you know, negative punishment is definitely something to be avoided. And then my final point would be if you're still struggling, if biting is still happening, you don't seem to be getting anywhere, then consult a, a dog trainer or a behaviorist or talk to your vet and they will give you some other strategies that will help stop puppy biting. Okay, so at this point, I just want to remind you that the information that I give in these podcasts is not a substitute for a consultation and examination with your pet's veterinarian and should not be taken as specific advice for any individual pet. If your pet is unwell, injured, or suffering from any kind of problem, then talking to your vet is always the best course of action. So now that's out of the way, question number three is when should I vaccinate my young puppy? What vaccines does he need? And what else will he require? Also, can the rabies vaccine cause rabies? So this owner has got a four week old little puppy and they're just worried that vaccinations at the moment are, uh, are just inappropriate, that they're too young, that they're not ready. And they're just wondering about rabies vaccination that in their area, it's definitely mandatory. So they'll need to have that done. But they've heard that the three year rabies vaccine has been caused, has been found to cause rabies. So they're going to go with the one year. And they're also wondering what else will be required. So Let's start with the rabies vaccines. So they are inactivated or killed vaccines. And that means that there's no risk of them causing rabies to develop as a result of vaccination. You know, that's not to say that there's not a risk of serious side effects with vaccines, but these are very, very rare. And the development of full-blown rabies is not one of these side effects. You know, that being said, the one-year rabies vaccine works as well. It'll probably result in, in your dog being vaccinated for rabies more than they need. But again, the risk of side effects, although you'll read a lot about them, is actually very, very rare. So go with whatever protocol you're most happy with, which also complies with your local legislation. And in some cases, that will be a yearly rabies vaccine. 
So the need for other vaccines, it really depends on the disease risk in your area and the lifestyle your puppy will be leading. So core vaccines, which are ones that every dog would get, they generally include parvovirus, distemper and infectious hepatitis, as well as rabies, of course, if that's, um, that's in your area. We then move on to lifestyle or more regional specific vaccines and that can include for example leptospirosis and um, kennel cough is a really common one and Lyme's disease might be another one so your vet will be able to advise you on the local risks and the need for these additional vaccines um, and like I say that's the local risks but also based on your lifestyle so if you've got a dog even if there's kennel cough around but they never meet another dog they're never going into kennels they're not doing training they're not going to doggy daycare then kennel cough vaccine won't be appropriate compared to another dog who is mixing with lots of other lots of other um, dogs in different situations now if we think about the initial vaccine course well that typically starts at six to eight weeks of age and it finishes then at about 16 weeks of age so that's what we need to consider from that point of view and then the other main health considerations for a young pup would be parasite control, socialization, which is absolutely vital. So the biggest cause of death and rehoming in dogs under the age of three is due to behavioral problems, which will often come about through a lack of socialization. And that's something that I've spoken about and cover in another video. If you head over to rpetshealth.com, you'll find that. Um, and I'll put a link in the show notes to this podcast. And then the other thing to think about is also feeding a high quality diet consistent with the needs of your dog's specific breed. Get your question answered at dralexanswers.com. So question number four is what health problems will my cat face and what precautions should I take for my cat as a new cat owner? Now that's a huge question, but we can break preventative healthcare down into a couple of separate categories. So the first one would be infectious diseases and really vaccinations are a key component of preventing a, a large number of very serious infectious diseases. Now your vet will be able to advise you on which ones are most appropriate for your cat based on their lifestyle and the area where you live. Now the next thing to consider is parasite control and again your vet will know the local risks so it might just be fleas, it might be a few other things though and they'll be able to recommend the best products and the best regime for your cat again based on their lifestyle and your local risks. Now neutering is another thing that's very important for many reasons and I've discussed that elsewhere and I'll pop a link again in the show notes um, and then weight management is one of the most overlooked things and it's one of the most common that I see in, in the consult room is the number of overweight cats is huge, but a cat who is overweight is at a much higher risk of developing some really serious health problems like arthritis, diabetes, um, skin disease, fatty liver disease. Um, and so feeding the right amount of an appropriate diet and keeping a close eye on your cat's weight is really important. Now, dental health is another thing that's often overlooked. And I would say second to, to um, overweight cats, cats with bad teeth is probably the second most common problem that, that I see in the consult room. Now, brushing is the best way to prevent this. Um, then we've got special diets, we've got chews, um, we've got different feeding practices that can also help. And there are things that we can add to the water um, or put directly on the teeth that can also help. But, you know, cats can be a challenge with all these things. So really close monitoring and intervention in the early stages is very important for this. Um, and then there are other common health risks, you know, and that really depend on the age of cat. But ultimately, the message with 
be for these to seek help at the early stages when you first notice a change in your cat when you first got a concern rather than leaving things unaddressed for too long now that might mean that there are some times when you're worrying unnecessarily but if we're picking diseases up if we're picking problems up early then we're going to be in a much better situation to prevent those from becoming a problem later on before we jump into the last question, um, I just wanted to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by the rpetshealth.com guide to stress in cats. This is the free guide that helps you recognize the signs of stress, which is a problem that often goes unrecognized, much like obesity and much like dental disease. And this guide gives you the steps to take also to help your cat relax. So get it for free today. Simply head over to rpetshealth.com resources. And so my final question is, does medical marijuana help dogs suffering with seizures and can it be used to treat anxiety and pain? So this question comes from an owner who's got a really old terrier. So they're 17 years old and for a few days they look like they've developed um, vestibular disease, but also their dog has been having seizures. They had kind of low level seizures very intermittently, but that seems to have increased as well. Um, and really they're wondering what about medical marijuana so they've discussed other options with with their vet but they've heard that medical marijuana for pets might help their dog with seizures and with some of the other problems that they that they've got going on so there's a lot going on in this question but I'll start by saying that um, I've got multiple articles um, all about seizures and epilepsy in dogs that will definitely be worth checking out um, for any dog that's having a seizure. So older dogs it's much less likely to be epilepsy um, and especially if you know it didn't start when they were younger um, but they're definitely worth checking out and I've also got a comprehensive guide on vestibular disease in dogs so that would be something to check out and I'll put links to those um, those articles in the show notes to this podcast. Now, regarding the use of medical marijuana um, to control seizures in dogs, now there are a few points here to consider. So marijuana, or the product to use, is the first one. Now marijuana contains the psychotrophic chemical THC, and that can result in toxicity. So it's not massively toxic, but if we're using it in concentrated forms especially, or if we're giving large amounts, then that can result in toxicity. Now, the alternative to that is CBD oil. Now that does not contain THC um, and it's actually the CBD that may have an anti-seizure action and also CBD is um, legal in many more parts of the world compared to mer medical marijuana. Although that situation is changing and it's something that you know to really keep an eye on what the legislation is in your area. So CBD may be legal but it may still be illegal depending on where you are when you're listening to this. So I've spoken about CBD oil in dogs at length before, but when it comes to use to control seizures now, at the moment there are investigations underway into how well they can, CBD can control seizures in epileptic dogs who haven't been well controlled by other drugs. So that's a small subset of dogs who are having seizures. So we don't yet know the answer to this, um, although maybe the signs are promising and certainly in, in children and in people, you know, there have been some encouraging studies done. But we need to remember that what is true for this small subsection of dogs who are having seizures will not necessarily relate to dogs who are having seizures due to other reasons. For example, if a dog is having seizures because their liver is failing or because they've got a brain tumour, then CBD oil may, may have no effect at all. So my last point would be, you know, we shouldn't ignore drugs that we already have that are known to work um, for something or may you know, compared to something that may or may not have an effect. So, you know, CBD 
maybe something to consider or medical marijuana may be something to consider but there are other options as well and we shouldn't ignore those so i hope that helps that's it for this episode of the podcast make sure you subscribe and if you have a spare couple of minutes i'd really appreciate it so much if you could um, leave me a review over on itunes or head over to rpetshealth.com review and that really helps more people discover this podcast and allow me to help more pets but that's it from me I'll see you in the next episode, but until then, take care. You've been listening to the Dr. Alex Answers Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and we'll see you on the next episode of the show where you ask the questions and Dr. Alex answers.